Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of Hard in the Paint. I am your host, David Grubb, and I know primarily when you check into this show, it's about sports, but you also know that I am extremely passionate about music. Um, with going all the way back to the original Hard to Paint, you know, theme shows every day, the music matched my mood, and um, music has just been a big part of my life. The logo for Hard to Paint is inspired by one of my favorite groups of all time, EPMD. So, um, and this being the 50th anniversary of hip hop, I wanted to take an opportunity to talk to an artist who I have been following um, for more than a decade, um, who I have listened to since she was making mixtapes and have followed her as her career has taken her overseas around the world international fame and acclaim appearing with some of the greatest producers writers rappers that in the music industry that we have today and of all time and um beyond that over the last couple of years we've gotten to slowly know each other as artists um as creatives and now as friends so i want to welcome to the show the one and only nitty scott Hello. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here and to be finally having a chance to chop it up because we've been wanting to make this happen for a while, but um, I feel like the timing is everything and it's just a, a great season for everything to be coming together. Yeah, it's, it's just been, you've been here in uh, Louisiana for three days and there's just been all these serendipitous serendipitous kind of happenings since we kind of first met um just things that we found out that we have in common things that um just these random connections of of thoughts and ideas and and it all started though with the music And one of the themes that's been consistent on my show and on the shows across the network for HITP has been people's paths and how important connections are in making it in whatever it is that you're doing. That this is not a solo journey that we're supposed to take. Yeah. For you, what was that first thing that made the connection? or that first person that made the connection for you to discover that hip hop was the vehicle for you to have your voice in this world? Hmm. Well, I think I'm, I'm gonna say my friend, my, my homeboy, uh, his name is James and uh, he was the first one to just like put me in a booth and uh, help me sort of take the poetry that I was already writing like off of paper and to um, channel it into like musically because I, I started off by just writing writing poetry and and prose and you know never did like bars or anything like that always these lines of poetry and um and then i would select background music to sort of give it this ambiance while i would perform the poetry pieces and one day we just sort of decided to like reverse the process 
and um, started off with selecting the instrumental and selecting the you know the the sonic direction first and then actually writing you know to the rhythm and it was you know an interesting sort of transition for me um, and he was the he was the first one to sort of help make me comfortable with that um, and and even just hearing my voice played back to me um, on a speaker in a studio and getting like comfortable with with that and the idea of that um, and and just the fact that you know we were two people who were really supporting each other through some difficult critical times in our like youth and uh, yeah and he's he's definitely uh, the individual who helped me to channel that um, at least like effectively um, in the way that I didn't I never knew the technical process uh, you know that was necessary and he put me onto that so yeah shout out to James aka Jay Guns <laughs> when I was introduced to your music it was through mixtapes um, and there was a very distinct sound to it. It was, and there was a distinct point to it, like um, trying to bring back a certain sound in hip hop that 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 real kind of rich, in particular New York vibe um, to hip hop. You were a New York transplant. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not a native of New York City. Yeah. Um, from Michigan to Florida to, to New York City yeah. is a is a path that most people who claim New York as MCs don't take. Yeah. <laughs> How did New York itself influence that sound direction for you? Oh yeah, I love this. I love this question. So okay, um, so it's interesting because I would say that like. Uh, Nietzsche, the person, right, um, grew up like in in different uh, parts of, of Florida, right? But Nitty, Nitty was raised in Brooklyn, like it's the only way that I could put it, um, because you know I, I I left home when I was sixteen. Um, and you know, took my talents to New York, uh, to New York City, and it was a while before I was able to like really become active in uh, in pursuing my my career. Um, I think I got there and had to survive, and and that became more paramount, right? Um, but I eventually ended up in the right circles, um, having the right conversations. And, um, and it was really at that point that I began to sort of penetrate the local scene um, in Brooklyn. And it was very organic, um, you know, 
I went to uh, John Jay High School. Shout out to John Jay, class of 09, you know, and I was, uh, you know, I was always in the ciphers and um, just like dipping and dab, you know, dabbling. And, uh, you know, once, once I really started like get, getting on stages and presenting myself to, to audiences, um, you know, those first, those first audiences were Brooklyn crowds, um, and, and, you know, and Bronx crowds and, um, you know, purists and, and people that, you know, are in the heart of where this culture was born and are therefore very critical um, of who you who you celebrate <laughs> and um, so it was like a it was like a boot camp of sorts and I had to really learn how to become a skilled MC um, Brooklyn was my playground for that and the fact that the bar was so high and that it, you know, it didn't matter where, where I was from or if I was cute or, you know, anything where it was just like, you know, I had to be nice. <laughs> I had to be nice. And, um, so it was just a great, a great environment to chisel, uh, you know, sharpen, sharpen my knife. And yeah, and I would say like, that's where uh, the Nitty Scott that a lot of people were first introduced to me, you know, that's where she was, where she was born and where she was, you know, developed. Um, and, you know, I had always gravitated to that boom bap sound um, to lyricism to themes of um, social justice, um, even mysticism, um, you know, and I always knew that that is where I would be able to find my voice, um, which is why I, you know, went went to where I went uh, when I was 16. <laughs> You come out, you know, the Cassette Chronicles, you know, Annie Maria's Crib, Boombox, Diary Volume 1, and, like, in that short amount of time, you do the BET Cypher 2, and you're like, you know, you, you've done collabs with Kendrick Lamar, mm -hmm. you got videos that are getting played, and I remember, in particular, um, um, and I don't want to get the title of the song wrong, it's Clouds. Um, you, know, you know what I'm talking about. Skipping Clouds. Skipping Clouds. Yeah. Like that video in particular got like a lot of critical yeah. impact. Yeah. So most young artists are trying to get on the charts. Mm -hmm. Most young artists are looking for their hit. Mm -hmm. It seemed much more that you even in your lyrics, and at that time, were more about creating or finding your identity. Yes. 
more so and forsaking like really I mean like the music to you know was hit worthy mm-hmm. it was you know what I'm saying like listenable in that regard but I understand why it's not mainstream yeah exactly yeah it was definitely about like using it as a vehicle to like explore myself and to understand the what was going on within me and around me and and to make sense of the you know both my inner and outer worlds um and yeah it was definitely like was an outlet that I just so happened to be sharing with with the rest of the world and it was also about um creating a foundation for longevity I think that was also a part of it um where I wanted to establish my um, knowledge and, and respect for the like fundamental parts of the culture um, for the the you know mastering of the the craft um, you know having technique and, and skill and like, really checking off those those bases and letting people know that um, that I was gonna be about substance and um, I think I just wanted to establish that before continuing to you know evolve and explore what other statements I wanted wanted to make um, it was more important to me to do that than to be like this flash in the pan where um, even at that time there were artists that I remember like growing up listening to in high school where they may have had a nice run they may have had a good three to five year run where you could say hey you know you, you remember this like you know string of albums or, or songs you know but but it's still like a it's still a footnote it's still a, a memory um, and I just remember not wanting to be that I remember wanting to be like uh, timeless and and wanting to make things that would would with withstand the test of time and um, and be relevant uh, you know, five years from now, 10 years from now. So. Another one of the things that I really enjoy about your work is that there is a thematic consistency within each one of them. Um, though the tones are not, you know, will go all over the place sonically and the lyrical styles and all those things are different from song to song. The overall album is connected, whether it's five songs or 12 songs or whatever, there's a connection yeah. and a vibe that goes from start to finish. Yeah. And I think that that's something that's been lost in the music industry with this, especially because you don't have to vi- have to buy music anymore. Yeah. Like, you know, it's you, a download is a certain number of downloads is equal to a sale. Yeah. Crafting an album meant something. You know, I know, you know, there was a period in the 1960s where it was just, you get a couple hot singles, that's what Motown did, put and then slap some covers, yeah. but you try to sell the single. Mm-hmm. But we reached that period, the 70s, the 80s, the albums that we really think of as the greatest albums in music's history. Yeah. The Stevie Wonders, the, the all those things that were getting crafted during that period. Mm-hmm. 
were thematic. Yeah. And now we've kind of gone back to this disposable, it's about the single, Mm -hmm. it's about how quickly does it chart. Mm -hmm. And the artistry of crafting an album has been lost. Has been lost. lost. And and it's even like uh, the investment in itself has become like, it, it starts to make less sense to invest what you used to in curating this like body of work because it is going to be consumed in such a particular way that uh it's not it doesn't it doesn't make sense like it literally doesn't make 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 sense to invest in it the way that you used to and you know i think it's a signature of mine to like to these these full bodies of work that are like um, crafted in a way to be like fluid to to flow in a very fluid way Um, you know it's not a it's not a compilation of songs just you know slapped onto uh, one project but always uh, very thought out strategic um, conceptual approach and Um, And I'm very proud of that, and I kind of want to never lose that. And I like that I have the freedom to sort of maintain that formula if I want to um, as an independent artist, where, you know, even though the game has changed, I don't necessarily have to uh, conform to having the same, like, anxieties that you know, others might have where, um, yeah, I still try to, try to stick to what I know I'm, I'm good at and what my fans appreciate about the experience of my music. It's, there's an intimacy to it and I, and that's intentional. And I, and when I say that, I don't just mean, you know, and I, we'll, we'll talk about this in a minute, there's an emotional intimacy to your music because it's very personal. Mm-hmm. But it also reminds me of just, there are artists in general that are meant to be heard in a, in a, a venue versus an arena yeah. because the experience is completely different. For sure. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And the way you operate on stage, it feels like, I've seen you in front of big crowds. I've watched shows where you're in front of giant crowds. Yeah. But I've been in a room where there's 75 people watching you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that opportunity to connect in a smaller venue, eye to eye, energy to energy, person to person, mm-hmm. how, how much does that, how does that compare to that arena type environment? Well, it does factor into the level of, like, nervousness and anxiety, for sure. Um, Because there's, I don't know, almost like a detachment that you can have when everyone looks like little bits of confetti anyway. And you're kind of like, I don't even know who's out there. I'm blinded by these lights. And, you know, I've been in front of, I think my biggest crowd was uh, in Switzerland when I opened for uh, Busta and 
uh, I think it was most deaf, and um, I think it was like 30,000 30, in Switzerland. And uh, yeah, so it's just like this sea of people and you can almost, you know, just tell yourself that it it doesn't feel so personal. And it's just like, you know, I'm just gonna go out there and, you know, play out my set and, and be present, like, you know, in the moment. Um, with these more intimate settings, it's like, you know, you know that you, you may make like eye contact with, with someone, you may, um, see that fan crying in the in the very front or um that person in a you know meditative you know trance just you know getting their life and it's um yeah so it becomes it, 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 I do get a little bit more I definitely alter the set I always alter the like the track list is always different um those kinds of of settings um you know what i choose to present is definitely different and and i think i'm a little bit more like improvised um in those spaces as well where i'm gonna sort of respond to the energy that is in the room um, and what is happening more than in these uh, bigger venues being a little bit more scripted um, and a little bit more like, you know, flowing through, through the set. And even though there, I do think, even like when I go on tours and stuff, like I do think every city does get a slightly different version of you know whatever it's been prepared um so there's always some element of like improvisation but um in the more intimate spaces it is very like um more like i'm gonna lead with my heart and like you know what i feel compelled to say or do in a moment and you know i might go off the regular script or you know feel like the freedom to to do that a bit more than like a festival or something like that yeah. let me ask you there real quick your favorite on stage experience Oof. my favorite on stage experience uh, like it doesn't have to be a big thing or something but like just one that yeah you um, just go to yeah um Cuba uh, just just performing in in Havana um, and knowing that you know my music had had taken me there um, and you know connecting with all of the other Cuban artists that were there um, and the way they were were responding uh, to my music it it was a blast and I was able to, you know, bring people that I love with me and uh, it was, yeah, it was an incredible experience. Yeah, Cuba was it. <laughs> a couple of minutes ago you mentioned, you know, opening for Busta and, and Mose yeah. and um, you've, you've had, you've worked around 
you know, DJ Premier, you've been on a track with the late Guru, mm-hmm. um, DMC, mm-hmm. the works with all these, and I mean, legends, mm-hmm. like Godfathers, foundational pieces of this culture. Yeah, so And yet, on the other hand, you know, somebody might say, well, she's still not mainstream. Mm-hmm. Does the ownership of yourself mm-hmm. and the respect of your peers in that way, and not only your peers, but your idols, mm-hmm. how does that, you know, like, what does that mean to you, rather, when, when somebody else might say, you ain't sold, you ain't got no platinum, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. what does that, the validation mean? Yeah. I mean, it, so it's, it, for me, it's twofold because it's like, you know, I do have my own definition of success and like, you know, for me, that's having a a sense of fulfillment, um, you know, being able to make a living off of doing what I love, um, being able to travel, see the world, um, you know, connect with with other creative, beautiful, like human beings um, that I maybe wouldn't otherwise have been like exposed to. Um, having the creative freedom to just say literally whatever I want, um, do whatever I want in whatever way I want to. <laughs> um, you know, that is my definition of, of success. And in that way, I have absolutely like made it. And I think there's a, you know, a lot of people, especially uh, like consumers that uh, sort of feel like on the outside looking in that everyone who is a like recording artist must want to reach a specific uh, level of visibility or popularity um, must want to have specific kinds of accolades you know and I don't I don't front in the way that you know I'll ever say that those things wouldn't feel good or that I wouldn't like embrace them if they were you know a part of my journey um, but it's not what defines the important things to me. Um, it's, it doesn't, it doesn't have any bearing on if my work matters for one. I think that's very, very important. Um, I think there's, a, even beyond myself, there's a lot of, um, artists and art out there that matters that isn't uh, mainstream uh, I kind of I also value my my privacy and my ability to have this normalcy um, in my life I embrace it <laughs> I, I, I welcome it um, I like the fact that I don't um, have to be on all the time and uh yeah so I guess yeah I guess that that would that would be my my response to that um you don't 
now I do think that artists like in general um, I do think that you know it's a it's an industry where we need to like unionize and you know find a way to uh, avoid the like disgusting levels of exploitation that we I think that I think we all experience on all levels um, you know no matter where you you fall um, as far as like your your caliber you know um, so you know in that way I I can't say that um, I can't say that I that that having uh, res- the, the respect of my peers and fans and um, idols, so to speak, that that is everything. Like 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 that that is the only thing um, in the way that like that doesn't keep the lights on, right? <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? And I you know like I feel like like I <laughs> I never want to be so like purist that it's just like yeah it's just all for the love <laughs> like nah like I want to eat too you know <laughs> like I do <laughs> you know so that, you know that and that's what I mean by like I, I do think all artists like on some level like we're all being exploited by like these streaming you know platforms and the way that you know record labels have always operated and the way deals are structured and all these things um so you know we could always all make be able to make a little bit more money and but you know outside of that um yeah i just don't i don't think that uh being uh, mainstream and i think when you have a more of an understanding of what that entails and like what what a what a record deal is and you know what a how it's this loan with a awful interest rate and you know and the and what is given up in exchange for these um investments in your career and you know a lot of people just don't understand what that looks like and how how in debt and um creatively stifled you know a lot of our favorite mainstream artists really are you know um so my ability to avoid that, although, you know, it presents its own challenges, you know, to navigate, but I'm still proud of what I get to avoid just by um, maintaining this, like, indie status, you know. Are those conversations happening more often for artists now? Mm-hmm. You know, and did the did those vets who you've gotten the chance to work with and be around, did they say to you like, mm-hmm. hey, you know, like, are they, you know, are people paying it forward? Yeah. And is, do you think that, that, I mean, there's always gonna be people who just go take it because look, they just won't be in, they wanna be famous, they wanna do whatever. Right. But are we, is the education about it getting better? Mm, a, a little bit, yeah, maybe a, a little bit. I think like, I think the, the discourse is there of like, you know, the obstacles that the modern day artist is is facing, you know, 
I think like the conversations are are there, but but we we still have a long way to go. I think the writer's strike and, and like we talked about this a little bit, you know, offline is like there's just so much evidence that people who, in the business world view creatives as extremely disposable, yes. that we are easy to find, and that because of the nature of our work, that we are desperate, mm-hmm. that we need them to give us these pittance. Mm-hmm. Well, and there's so many things that like you may not even think about that is like, imagine a commercial without art. Imagine like there's so many fundamental things like in our society that uh, I think people try to devalue that come from the minds of creative people that, uh, you know, we'd be, it'd be to our detriment to be without, you know, we add color to the world. We, uh, we're almost godlike in our ability to create, to manifest something from a idea to a tangible experience, something that can be touched, lived, heard, you know, um, yeah, that is devalued far too often. (laughs) You fit into very few boxes, but you check a lot of them because in 2023, you are black, you are Latina, Mm -hmm. you are queer, queer, you are um, mentally ill, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, something we've talked about. Mm -hmm. Um, And these are conversations that we are having in this country, Mm -hmm. and these are debates. I'm not even going to say conversations. These are problems, because it's not conversations. Mm -hmm. We're not having good conversations. We're having backlash and court rulings and things like that, and people are hurting people. I'm a 47-year-old dude. You know, you're a 32-year-old woman from New York City. And like I said, I've been listening to you for 11 years. And I think that's what makes you unique as an artist is that I'm in your fan base. And at the same time, earlier today, I introduced you to my daughter who's 15 years old. And that's 32 years apart. That's the difference between me and you apart. And she is your fan as well. And it's... I think that it, it, that that has to feel. I just can't. I, I just don't know what that must feel like. <laughs> it is cool, actually, um, and it's funny because my first. Um, I remember one of my lines in like my very first freestyle, the monster freestyle that went viral. Um, there's a line that's like, uh, some something on my is uncanny. I make music that a thug could bump in front of his granny. Something, something, like, and it's like, and it's literally like the whole thing is just about like my range and like, you know, and um, yeah, and I I love that. I I love that. I think it's um, it's because like uh, there's this like multi-dimensionalness that I just let, that I just let out, that I just let fly. Um, where you know there's this part of me that still like loves Barbie and the Little Mermaid and you know um, but I've also like 
experienced um, you know some some traumas and been in some really like mature uh, you know even dangerous like environments and um, yeah like I just uh, yeah I think I just I just put it all out there and the human element of it I think is what makes it so that almost anyone can find a way to to relate or something about it that that resonates um and that's how I feel about people too that like I can find something in common with myself and any other human being you put me in front of like yeah <laughs> I think that's kind of just how we became friends. Yeah. I mean, just like regular people-to-people conversations yeah. and, and, and in some common moments, just being like, hey, I, I get that. Yeah. And, and um, you know, this week you've been in Louisiana and Mississippi um, visiting with family and also doing a little work, yeah. um, recording a, um, a couple of videos. Mm-hmm. Um using local talent yes. to help um, local photographers, Mardi Gras Indians involved, yes. shooting in, our, in, in the city of New Orleans um, and in Mississippi. Tell folks about, you know, your, your affinity for New Orleans and, and, and Louisiana and, that, and the southern part of your heritage. Yes, I, man, it's like, I've always wanted to celebrate it and, and show people this this side of me just because you know as I had sort of talked about earlier the the version of Nitty Scott that most people were introduced to um was like a a New Yorker you know and um and that's very much a part of you know my story for all the reasons that I talked about but my heritage and my background is very deeply rooted in in the south and in mississippi and in new orleans where my dad was born and and raised so born in mississippi raised in new orleans so um you know this small town simplicity the like wholesomeness um you know the the tight-knit uh very just country black <laughs> uh, family that that I come from um, you know I don't know I guess how like how much people know about about it when it you know when it comes to me so I made it a point to um, come down here and shoot in you know this little town um, that generations of my family hail from in Mississippi um, you know the name of the record is Wilkinson County Wildcats which is the like local high school uh, mascot and uh, you know I just I just wanted to, to put on for um, this like tiny place that has had such a huge impact on um, 
on everything that that I am on the the topics and the and the themes that that I explore that are important to me, um, the stories of my ancestors and the the matriarchs of my family, my ties to you know uh, Natchez indigenous peoples and. Um, I feel very connected even to the land. Um, the last time that I was here for, I, I was on Thanksgiving, <laughs> actually. Um, you know, I just, I remember just having my feet like on the earth and um, feeling very intensely connected to the suffering that um, occurred on these lands. Um, just all the all the stories um, just sort of like filled me up, and um, and I felt more connected than than ever. So I just you know I hope people love this offering that I've uh, put together as a celebration of my identity and, uh, and my heritage, and and also just like like New Orleans in general just being one of the most magical cities uh, in the world honestly but especially in the United States like there's just no other city like it um, it's so charming it's so rich in culture and history um, and and spirituality and uh, yeah, I just I will I will never stop like ranting and raving about how special uh, this place is to me. So uh, yeah, stay tuned. Wilkinson County Wildcats, uh, Hereditary music videos, and thank you for just helping to make everything possible um, to execute all of these plans that I had I always you know tell people that you know people have no idea what it takes to create this like two minute and 30 second experience that you know you can easily you know you, you search it up you click on YouTube you know and you have no idea how many different people all have to come together to just like make these moments uh, come to fruition and uh, you're just a huge part of that process and yeah thank you thank you for having me and making me feel so comfortable and um, yeah I mean I'm not surprised because you know Louisiana Mississippi like good people come from come from here well, I, I do host a sports show, so I, I'm going to get into the sports aspect of a couple things. I'm going to give you some sports hip-hop related type ways. Because hip-hop is a sport, and, and there are different ways to approach it. You can have the golf approach, which is I am playing against myself. You know, it doesn't matter how many people are out there on the course, mm-hmm. my score is my score. Yeah. They can't do nothing about it. All I can do is hit my score. Yeah. Then there are times where, hey, you and I are battling. I'm a, it's me versus you one-on-one. Boxing, it's mano a mano. We're going to do what we do. Lyric for lyric, boom, boom, boom. You've been in those situations. Yeah. And then, of course, there's the T 
team approach, mm-hmm. which you are, have also been in a group, yep, which is a team <laughs> approach, and you're trying to win in those. And in each one of those situations, you can succeed and you can fail. And you've experienced those in all of those situations as well. Yes, the highs and the lows. What is... You are not by nature a competitive person in that you want to beat people in life. Nope, not at all. But when it comes to your pen and your lyrics and that, how competitive are you once you step in that arena? Yeah, well, I will say that my primary opponent usually is myself. And I am usually trying to outdo myself and and you know whatever bar was previously set um and and just looking to like impress myself with with what you know whatever comes out of me um but i also sometimes have the like invisible opponent where it's not any particular you know person or or thing um but just almost like this this imaginary individual who you know is telling me i'm whack and 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 they better than me you know just just that you know and there are other times where it is a specific um commentary and like criticism or you know indictment of what is happening in the culture and um and outright saying that you know i'm here to eliminate what i feel is not worthy and to demonstrate what i think is one of the biggest points that you made at the outset of your career is that you did not want people to call you a female rapper you did not want like you particularly use the word femcy, like yes. it's just, and you you put it in your name at the time. You made sure it's Nitty Scott MC, like you wanted people to understand that that's what you came to do. Yeah. You were not, you're not there to rap, like you know what I'm saying. Like you, you were an MC. You came to spit, yeah. and it's a big difference. Um, but that box still exists. Yeah, you are. You were not typically compared to male rappers. You are compared to female rappers, mm-hmm. which is no disrespect to the number of great women rappers that there are, mm-hmm. whom also you have worked with mm-hmm. in many regards. Yeah. But why do we do that in hip hop that it can't just be rap versus rap? Uh, you know, I don't know. And it's interesting because in the beginning of my career, as you mentioned, I like went out of my way to like really distinguish myself as like a, a human being who happens to, you know, have the gift of gab. And um, and I and I so badly didn't want to be I didn't want to be boxed in and I didn't want like there was this like loaded like expectation um that came with any of these labels being put on me um but it's interesting because i ended up leaning more into my identity and uh and my femininity and 
all of these things um, almost because the it's like the world would not let me forget they would everything always reinforced and communicated to me that no you are not not how you identify or present yourself but what I perceive you to be and um, yeah and I, I guess I feel like my response to that was things like you know the the creature album and um, you know the way that I just then like leaned into to, to all the things that that I am um, yeah I, I I don't know I don't know I guess it's just being a minority in a like you know this is a, a, a male dominated uh, field and always has been and um, you know I, I I even get this this sense sometimes that um, like in most like high hierarchical uh, systems, you know that people like it that way. You know they like their like domination. They like their like superiority, and um, I almost feel like it's just like this like uh, like this territorialness uh, with allowing um, allowing us to take up space in the way that like men have always been allowed to like the, the misogyny of the greater of greater like society um, plays into plays into it and and I just you know I remember recognizing that as well like recognizing that the way that I was being treated and the things that I had to like just navigate as a as a woman um, was beyond me. That it wasn't so much about me and what I was presenting because no matter what I was presenting, there was always some misogynistic like obstacle to to tackle, um, and that just you know showed me that it. It was it was bigger than me, and it was just you know this greater thing that um, that hip hop culture is you know unfortunately not like immune to. So yeah. Last two things I want to hit, and these are kind of fun. Yeah. What? And this is this is almost an impossible question, but off the top off the top of your dome, and I'm not I don't I'm not doing like a top five list. I don't like doing that with people because I don't think you know like at least this is just conversation like, that, that I don't like to have. But personally, what lyric like you you know in your head somebody else's you know a song that in your life like when you just go to that place mm. musically mm. is there a lyric a hip hop lyric that just that one that's like if you want to get in that mood you just there's that one Whew. Mm, that there's just that one I will tell you mine while you're thinking about yours okay alright go ahead and this is a song that no one like I don't even know how many people remember this song okay but it's, it's it just it gets me into a certain place uh huh 
Ballad of a Menace by CPO and MC Ren. I don't, I don't even know. See, see that's what I say. It's, it's a song that most people don't even. MC Rim produces do CPO, and he was on like the, the Above the Rim soundtrack too. He did. He had just this real big voice, uh-huh. and it's a song called Ballad of a Menace. And at the time, it came out in like 1991, and I was just, you know in high school, and I was no menace. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I was a nerd, weighed 175 pounds, had big glasses, very. But when I listened to it, I didn't feel angry. What I felt was empowered. Like I could be braver. I could be stronger. Yeah. And so, like, it's not my favorite song of all time. It's not my, you know, like it's not my. That's not even my favorite album. But cl- close to it, it's a very obscure song. Yeah, yeah. But it was my when I wanted to get into that mood of like mm-hmm. I can do this. Mm-hmm. That was my go-to. I think. I think what's what's coming up for me is um, Fall in Love, Slum Village. That one is, um, yeah, that one gets me in in a trance and like, um, it like reminds me, uh, it reminds me of how, of how hip hop made me feel like prior to um, having any like expectations placed on me or um, or you know competing you know in any kind of arena or whatever like just the 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 purity the the simplicity of just like of of how it made me feel and, and why I got into this like you know like the love like like for the love of of music and community and like, you know, and Dilla, um, you know, Detroit, like all all these mm-hmm. connections and parallels, like it's, uh, yeah, it's a magical, magical record for me. That is a great record. I yeah. do love Slum Village. Yeah. I am a big Slum Village fan. Yeah. Um, last one, if you were putting together your own Wu-Tang Clan, of MCs, <laughs> any number. Oh wow! Who, who would you pick? Um, Black Thought, Andre Three Thousand, and Styles P. That's a dope group. <laughs> That's a right? dope group. <laughs> I would, yeah. That I'll, is a dope. Group. I want to hear that. That's yeah, kind of nuts. Y'all can right? make a record, right? That, that, right? That sound would be bananas. That's kind of nuts. I'm trying you, to hear that. Like, I'm just trying to think about what the track would be like. I know. I don't... Thought... Thought, Andre. Yeah. Because Thought is a monster. And Andre's going to give you something... different, and then... Yeah. And Styles is going to give you something... Like, I some, think he's so some, underrated some and underappreciated. Shit, like, man. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's final answer. That's dope. Right? That, that would be... That's my Wu Tang clip. <laughs> <laughs> this is, you know, this has been so fun for me and, and, and just an honor to get to sit across from you and do this. <laughs> um, and like I said, 50 years of hip hop, and, and we had this discussion that my birthday is August 11th, 1975. Hip hop was born August 11th, 1973. Yeah. 
it's in my it's in my, it's in my heart and um and like getting to to be around somebody who I just love as an artist and now get to know as a person um and I get to call a friend now it's just has been just a fantastic experience and I just want to wish you you know all the success that as you define it Thank as you. you define it Thank you. you know that means a lot that means a lot to me um yeah I I wish you continued success um you know this has been a fire platform I've you know I haven't been able to uh really really be outside and, and connect and engage in the way that I've wanted to I think for the past few years and you know the I think personal difficulties I've had and so um, for me to sort of stick my head out into the world and uh, you know be able to do what I love like it's just it's it's special to me that that you're a part of that like you you know you made me feel uh safe enough to to do that um so i'm just you know getting my momentum uh back up i feel and uh just really like rediscovering who i am on the other side of uh you know this really i think like life shifting like like earth shattering uh transition for me um so yeah i just want you to know that yeah you're an important part of of the journey i think you know in retrospect i'll look back and and see this as like a a moment of of healing a moment of uh reclaiming you know, being able to reclaim what is mine um, and, and what I deserve, uh, but only with the help and the, the support of like, like-minded, uh, amazing people. So thank you. And this is, I guess this is kind of an inside thing, but I'm gonna say it on, on the thing. It's like, <laughs> I'm glad now in a way that we didn't record this yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Because today, yeah. you know, and, and, and I'm not going to say unless you want to say, but yeah. today is such a significant day for you. Today is very special um, day. That, I don't know, it just, in this moment, it just feels like, yeah. And it's been like this, this entire few days with us. It's like every decision when we said, well, let's do this then. Yeah. It's worked out exactly the way it needed to and I and we were supposed to record this yesterday yeah. I said I can't be me <laughs> can we do this tomorrow <laughs> and you said okay yeah we'll do it tomorrow and <laughs> alignment and, like yeah so so yeah, yeah just thing has been aligned and just falls into place in the right time and you know and I do I do want to say um you know, if anybody has a chance, go out there, stream Vacations Vendetta album. Um, that's my little brother's LP. Today marks uh, three days, three years since we've uh, been without him. And um, I know that he would just really love and appreciate if y'all could go out there and support uh, his work. And uh, yeah, we love you, baby bro. We love you forever. 
out to my, my rock star baby, Vacation HD, little bro. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, that has been Nitty Scott, um, and I am David Grubb. This has been Hard to Paint. I'll talk to y'all soon. Yeah. <laughs>